adding insult to injury, the rewiring customer never made his final payment due to financial <laughs> difficulties. Totally unrelated. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. How big is this horse? Fifteen hands. What is that in fingers? I'm just kidding. Get me this horse. That horse is booked. Tell the guy. Get me this horse. Tell the guy. I'll give him an associate producer credit. Hello. He's pointing, everybody. He's ready for you. <laughs> uh, welcome to Recordopia, episode 81. I am Jeremy Scott. And I'm Aaron Dicer. And today's big recommend is going to be the 2000 comedy State in Maine, uh, which is nice and light, refreshing, and moving a little bit away <laughs> from the moody, brooding fare of the past several weeks, months even. Uh, but before we get into the big recommend, uh, Aaron, did you bring any small recommends to this week's episode? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I did. Uh, let's start off in the television world. Uh, Billions final season has begun on Showtime. I believe it is the longest running show on uh, on Showtime right now. And oh, wow. I think we're heading through season seven of this show. Wow. What is, what is consistently amazing about this show, and it's done by Brian Koppelman, who you may know is the writer behind um, the poker movie that I can't think of all 21. of a sudden. Uh, no, no, not that one. <laughs> Rounders. Uh, Rounders, yes, that's the one. Uh, that would be Blackjack for 21, uh, Jeremy. Oh, you're right, um, sorry. Uh, anyhow, yes, uh, Koppelman is here. And you get that same sense of his style of writing, uh, how direct it is, how uh, there's a lot of momentum to it. Uh, and I really enjoy it. It's kind of Sorkin-esque in a way. He reminds me a little bit about uh, with Sorkin with how he has his character say things that normal human beings probably couldn't come up with in, in the minute. The added level he does to Sorkin, like where he kind of levels up, is he will have characters that have specific pop culture and sports knowledge that they would never have. Like just at the drop of a hat, we'll know, you know, who won the, you know, the 1976 World Series of Poker or whatever it might be, you know, like, and so there are all these beautiful moments where characters will do like a pop culture reference or a sports reference that just fits the moment perfectly. And they just happen to have that information at their fingertips or whatever. Um, it's fun that way. It's really fun. And then beyond that, it's, uh, it's a really interesting soap opera kind of thing about uh you know the wealthy and how they stay wealthy and the manipulations there in the market and one of the main antagonists this season is somebody who is billionaire who is trying to invest in uh products that make the world a better place but it's kind of a front he's kind of a uh ego uh, maniac and you know eventually wants to rule the world but it's so it's just kind of an interesting look at all that stuff but it's a really fun watch it's a really hmm. fun watch um and i think over the seven seasons has just like locked into its voice and it's so confident with what it is now so so damian yeah. lewis is back now right he came back for this season yes to finish uh things off he was out for a couple seasons but um but yeah the whole cast is is great 
I wonder, having not, never seen either, I wonder how this show pairs with uh, Succession, because they both seem to be targeting the same ultra wealthy uh, kind of person. Um, and I hear they're both amazing, so maybe they're not very much alike at all. Have you seen Succession? The, the tone, yes, I've watched all of Succession. I watched all of Succession as well. The tone's a little bit different. Succession is a little bit more aggressive. It's a more direct satire, stab to the heart of this kind of thing. Billions is more almost frivolous, light, fun. Like you're going to be more in my mind, you're going to have a, a lighter time with Billions because what Koppelman is doing here isn't just the Machiavellian machinations of power. He's also dealing with really clever uh, comeuppances and plot movements. And uh, there's just a lot of really interesting pl uh, plot structure things hmm. that he's doing here that keep it more of almost... Uh, I mean, it's not a heist movie in any sense of the term, but that kind of feeling of we're leading right. somewhere and there's going to be a big plan reveal and, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they got them that way. You know, like that kind of thing. So, okay. Okay. yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right. Well, uh, fans of when I uh, recommend food and beverage products are going to be happy today because I'm bringing you um, some potato chip recommends. Uh, <laughs> now, every year Lay's has been doing this messed up, Thing where they have fans submit ideas for flavors and we've seen everything from chicken and waffles to I think something in gravy at one point. I'm never interested in those. But this year, the temporary flavors are intriguing. They're taking other flavors from the greater corporate umbrella and putting them on Lay's chips. So they have Funyuns, they have Cheetos, and they have Cool Ranch Dorito flavor. This is very confusing to me. This yeah. is the, the cognitive dissonance is high on this. <laughs> <laughs> you put one of these chips in your mouth and it tastes like a potato chip with Cheeto dust on it because that's probably literally what it is. <laughs> yes. um, the Cool Ranch seasoning works surprisingly good on a potato chip and not just a corn chip. I haven't had the Funyun ones because I have never liked Funyuns, so I'm not going to go down that road. But the two that I did get, Cool Ranch and Cheeto flavored, they're both out of this world to the point where I'm upset they're temporary limited flavors because I would buy them regularly. Uh, I don't know how long they'll last. Don't know where you can find them. I can only find them at Kroger near me. Uh, my other big shopping option is Publix, and they don't seem to be carrying them. So uh, ask around your local store, maybe the convenience stores carry them i don't go in convenience stores anymore but yeah this this was a home run don't do any more of that nashville hot chicken potato chips just do this <laughs> flavor swapping and uh, we're on a good path this sounds very interesting to me i would like to try these i like cool ranch doritos i like cheetos i dig funyuns all right but half of the reason i like funyuns is because of the type of carb they're on the type of chip they're on is a little bit yeah, interesting to me like so pork rind or not pork yeah rind, yes like exactly a, something like that yeah so it'll be interesting just to have it on a chip and see if i actually like the like the flavor of the actual or just the consistency of it yeah yeah, yeah. well so that's, and that's what, curious. i think we're going to see more and more of this this i think the first big push of this was maybe the doritos taco at taco bell because they're mm -hmm. both owned by the same corporate parent and i've seen earlier this year i started seeing mini Doritos and Sun Chips 
in Pringle containers. Mm. So I think we're just going to see a lot more of this brand crossover within the same parent structure. Uh, you're probably going to see like a Cool Ranch Dorito flavored Pepsi. Like, <laughs> I'm not even joking. Um, but anyway, these chips are good. Go get you some if you like potato chips. Nice. My second small recommend uh, comes from 1941. It's a movie called The Lady Eve. This is a Preston Sturgis film. Mm. Uh, he wrote and directed this. It is a screwball comedy, and it is so much fun. Uh, this is Henry Fonda and Barbara Stanwyck as kind of the, the couple who is falling in love here. But it starts as a con. It's kind of one of those movies. It's a con man movie that becomes a romance. Uh, and you kind of never know where it's going till the end. I found the humor and jokes here really, really sharp, which is not a surprise with Preston, uh, Preston Sturgis. And it's it's economical as well. It gets to where it's going quickly and uh, you never feel like a lull or bored this is, a, this is a really smooth watch. Uh, you just pop it on, have a good time, laugh. And of course, the, the normal, like, if you're not used to watching old movies, it is an old movie. Like, it's uh, black and white. And, you know, what? like, there, <laughs> well, there is that thing. There are some people who are like, you, you recommended this thing, and it's like old. And I'm like, yes, there's great old stuff. Anyways, uh, so uh, Lady Eve is definitely one I would recommend. Don't recommend uh, too many talking movies to <laughs> Logan Paul. Like yes, that's right. It's funny that you would uh, make this a small recommend this week because in researching uh, to talk about state and Maine, they very much set out to do a Preston Sturgis kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think they succeeded, but it's just fascinating that the timing worked out. Maybe you were watching it to see if it was a double feature. I don't know. Mm, no, um, no, but it could be have been in my brain somewhere and connected the dots for sure uh my small recommend i'm gonna bend the rules a little bit about what a recommend means um because i mostly want to praise an encounter i had with a, mm. a company and service um uh if you follow me on twitter you know that i have been watching a lot of baseball for the last year and a half two years or so and i originally had uh the baltimore orioles only subscription to mlb.tv which means i get to watch the orioles games and none none other ones and somewhere earlier in this year i upgraded to the full one i can watch all these games now i have watched every game the orioles have played this year except for one and i've watched them all on this tv right to my right here in my office with mlb app and about four days ago it stopped working uh it came up with the logo and the baseball just spun and spun and spun so I didn't know what to do. I tried turning my TV off and turning it back on. Uh, I rebooted my uh, internet and nothing worked. So I went to Twitter and complained about it. And after a few hours, I got a message requesting me to follow so I could DM um, with the MLB. Let's see, I better give them proper credit. The MLB fan support is the name of the Twitter account. Uh, and they said, try uninstalling the app and reinstalling the app. And I did that, and it worked. I said, thank you, and set about to watch my game. Came back the next night for the next game. The app's not working. Um, it's spinning and spinning. I remove the app. I reinstall the app. It's still not working. I remove the app. I install the app. It's still not working. <laughs> I tweet some anger. It's still not working. <laughs> So I go back to the 
to the DM message to this account. And this person proceeded to spend the next three, three and a half hours helping me troubleshoot getting this app on my PlayStation because apparently uh, there is a known issue on MLB's end with my television and the app not mm. working. And they are working on it on their end. And until then, uh, they've got me set up on my PlayStation to watch. But this person, I'm, I'm shocked. Whoever was running this account was this patient and kept coming back. Because I had a, my wife's friend over. I left the room for 30 minutes and came back. And they were like, uh, did it work? Did it not work? Can we try something else? And I just, in this day and age, especially on Twitter, I don't expect that kind of service. And uh, I was uh, moved enough to use this small here platform to give praise to the anonymous person who was running the MLB <laughs> fan support account two days ago. Uh, you're doing above and beyond. And I told them so. And so there you go. I really like that app. It's apparently pretty picky across devices and again i've only ever used my tv up until today or four days ago and it has never been a problem uh but i get to choose which team's broadcast i want to watch it gives me all sorts of like mm -hmm. video access and uh to know that the support is there uh just really made me feel like humanity might still have a chop they don't but for a moment <laughs> i felt like they might that's good to hear uh to take this uh, away from the customer service aspect I think we're just scratching the surface of what sports streaming is going to be uh, in the future. You talk about the ability to watch both teams' broadcasts. It is clear to me that very, very... I know this already exists in some broadcasts, uh, but it's clear to me that the internet is going to allow for a real choose-your-own-adventure thing when you're dealing with sports. Choose your camera I, angle. Choose your camera angles, choose your announcers. I can, you know, I can envision a dozen choices for who you want to listen to doing the commentary or, you know, whatever, because there are just a lot of people who are willing to do it for one, yeah. you know, um, so it's, you know, I think the future is really interesting when it comes to sports streaming. Any, uh, I'm sure the answer is yes. Are there any amateur game callers mm -hmm. that people listen to over the professionals? Yes. Because they just like their personalities better? Correct. I can't give you an example, but it's very similar to how you would do like a, um, a commentary on a movie. And then, you know, uh, in this case, you just listen to them while you're watching the, yes, those things you just do start exist. broadcasting on some kind of platform. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you have the, the game on. Mm hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Man, I mean, it's, that, it's, I would have tried doing that a while back. <laughs> it's not all that different than uh, over on Sif Pop when we do the Sposcars. We have the Oscars on, people have the Oscars on, and we're just doing live commentary, you know, and you just tune into our YouTube channel or whatever. You know what I mean? So, like, it's it exists out there for a lot of things. Live commentary can be yeah, a thing, but I, but I think it's going to be. The amateur ones are like going at it. Like, just a bit outside. Like, <laughs> or if they're just kind of like Maybe. reacting in real time, like a Twitch screen. Could be either. My point is, I think it's going to start to integrate. Like, I think that's going to be part of the offering are direct links to those what things. What would that be great is if I could unplug my headphones, which I just did. So, hooray. Yeah, great. That is, that's great job. Great job. What Accomplishment. if we get to a point where we're merging choose your own angle with upload your own video from behind mm -hmm. the first baseline mm -hmm. and sure. people at home can choose to watch your feed 
Um, I would love to be able to switch camera angles in real time at my own whim, because that is one thing that Orioles broadcast does not do very well. Um, yeah. But uh, that's anyhow. Just thought right. I'd mention that. Uh, I like uh, I like that kind of side trip, kind of kind of conversational detour. It's good. Now it's time to talk about this week's big recommend. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. And that is State and Maine, a movie I don't think I've seen in probably six or seven years. Seen it many times, but uh, always entertains me and always good for a laugh um i look at that artwork that we have uploaded on screen and on this other window i've got the movie's poster up and boy they did this movie a disservice with the Mm -hmm. visual Mm -hmm. marketing materials because it's just you can't tell anything about this movie no by any of its marketing material no, but Movie yeah. Poser looks like a postcard and where State and Maine <laughs> is the name of the state. It's really weird. Anyway, State and Maine is a comedy, and it's about a film being shot in a sleepy Vermont town of Waterford. Interestingly, as an aside, this is the real-life town of Manchester-by-the-Sea, um, <clears throat> which I did not know until prepping for this show. Did um, you know that Manchester-by-the-Sea was a town name and not just a movie name? I did. When the movie came out is when I learned it was a town name, but mm-hmm. I did not know that State and Maine had yeah. filmed there. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, our protagonist for the film is going to be Joe. He's the film's writer. We see most of the film's events uh, through his perspective. He's not where we start. We start with the director and cinematographer as they pull into town and see an old-timey fire station, which they need for their movie. There's a hint that they have had to hightail it out of New Hampshire. And we'll learn most of the reasons we suspect why. But they had already built an old mill in New Hampshire. And the old mill is being held hostage by that town. And so they need to find a town that has an old old mill. And thank God, this town of Waterford does, at least according to this brochure that no one ever does any research on. (laughs) Um, So they see the brochure and they see the firehouse. And I think this is kind of one of the things that the movie is saying about Hollywood is in how they tend to race after things without much thought or analysis. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that when we get to that. They find a hotel, they call the main producer, catch him up to speed, and start calling the actors and crew. They rent out the whole hotel because they're going to film this movie here. We also then meet some locals. We meet the owner of a diner. It's Ricky Jay. Um, has one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. Um, Julia Stiles is his daughter. She delivers food from the diner to the Hollywood stars. We also meet an ambitious city councilman who is Agent Coulson uh, in his pre-Agent <laughs> Coulson years. And uh, his fiance is Annie. We meet her as well, and we'll later learn she owns a bookshop, and she is the local drama director. We flash forward a couple days. It's never really very super clear, but it's at least a day or two. And the writer is here now. This is Joe. He's trying to ask somebody where his typewriter is. He's come from New Hampshire here to Vermont, and somehow his typewriter hasn't come. But also, the mayor has shown up to introduce himself to the director, so nobody's paying any attention to Joe. And, of course, they want to butter the mayor up because they need the permits to shoot on Main Street. Main Street, as we learned in the previous scene at the diner, has a lot of potholes. Uh, and we sure be nice to get those potholes fixed. Why are why we, you know giving away free permits to the film people when we have these potholes to fix. In the chaos, 
the, the mayor invites uh, the creative team to dinner at his house in a few days. And in, in the chaos, the, the day marker on the dry erase board calendar is smudged and wiped off. Uh, an assistant writes it on the wrong day, the following day. This will be important later. Then they learn the old mill burned down decades ago and start telling the writer he's got to find something different to make this movie about. <laughs> he puts the script up on the door. This is one of the best visual jokes in the history of movies. And this is the moment that we see the title of the movie they're making is The Old Mill. They mm -hmm. don't just need an old mill for a scene. The entire <laughs> movie is about the old mill. And... Uh, I think a lesser movie would have revealed that way sooner, mm -hmm. like the first mention of an old mill, but it holds this joke uh, so that it hits so much sweeter when you see, okay, not only does he have to rewrite a bit, he has to rethink the entire thing. He goes to the local bookshop to buy a typewriter. Apparently this is a thing. Maybe it is in small towns, but this local bookshop, in addition to books, has like 25 old used typewriters for sale. Fortunate for him. But this is uh, also the bookshop that Annie owns and he meets her. She recognizes his name. She's read his play. She thinks it's good. Uh, and this is his first film, I should mention. He's a playwright uh, previously. Some ladies come in. She says, hey, we're in the presence of this playwright. This guy's playwright here. And they ask him what the movie that they're filming is about. And he says, purity. Um, which is just kind of a running for me gag because the mm -hmm. whole movie is about the impurity of the entire industry mm -hmm. uh, at this point claire the lead actress shows up it's sarah jessica parker and the director decides to make joe be the one to tell her they're changing the old mill scene off camera joe refuses or quits or is fired it's never really very clear uh but he goes out starts walking and ends up having this long, meandering, deep conversation with Annie about life, about his work, about purity, second chances. Uh, and then later on that evening, the director, uh, William H. Macy, finds him again and basically convinces him to come back and join the movie. Uh, it's pretty hilariously fake speech, uh, but it ends up being kind of exactly what Joe needs to hear. And if there's one thing William H. Macy's character is good at, in this movie it's that like knowing what certain people need to hear at certain mm -hmm. moments so claire at this point has decided that she doesn't want to do the nude scene in the movie despite it being in the contract that she had signed there's a great scene where william h macy talks her down and convinces her the scene is important and as they walk out of her bedroom they overhear this production assistant guy say the nation could draw her breasts from memory mm -hmm. um and it undoes all of that work William H. Macy just did sends Claire back crying into her room. Around this time, Marty, the producer, shows up. And the diner's daughter, diner owner's daughter, delivers food to Bob and comes on to Bob. Um, Bob has a history of younger women. There's a moment earlier in the movie where they're trying to keep Bob busy. And the director says, what is he like? And somebody says, 14-year-old girls. And the director says, Get him something else. Get him half a 28-year-old girl. How's <laughs> my math? Um, so he's not a good person, uh, but she is not being preyed upon here. Um, she very knowingly pursues him. It doesn't make it any less wrong, uh, but uh, she almost instigates uh, the flirtation there. Oh, there's no almost about it. 
the movie is clear. She is on yes. the hunt. I'm yeah. just trying to. I don't know. <laughs> trying to make sure my words don't come back to haunt me. Yeah, um, sure. Then we get a little bit of a, a farcical. This is probably a lot where that Preston Sturgis stuff comes up, where um, he's in his room waiting for a typist, but Claire comes in because he had just defended her in front of the producer. And then Claire takes off her clothes to seduce him. But then the typist shows up, but it's Annie, who he's kind of like liking already. And so uh, she comes in. Who just broke up with her fiance. She did. Um, she yeah, did, by the way. Probably important to note. Um, uh, and there's no sign of Claire. And then she leaves, only to remember something. And she comes back through the door, and there's naked Claire. And Joe is all like, um... Oh, there's nothing going on. And you know, what I think is kind of a nice change in Hollywood, Annie believes him. She's like, if you say that's the truth, uh, I've got no reason not, not to not believe you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it probably helps that Claire has a reputation of somebody who has done a lot of nudity. And it wouldn't necessarily be out of question for her on a movie production to be naked. I don't know. Uh, but it's refreshing that they don't just use this as a as a stupid obstacle to keep these two apart for the rest of the movie. You also get the sense that e even if something had been going on Anne would have been kind of nonchalant about, it. you know what I mean? Like there was, there was really, yeah. there's something about her character that is completely non-judgmental. Like there's just, everything is face value and that's okay. Whatever. Just the truth is fine. She's very much just the truth is fine. Whatever the truth is, that's what the yeah. truth is. You that's, know? Like, that's proper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we do also see, um, the diner girl sneaking out of Bob's room and Bob waving at her like he's a child. So we know now that there's inappropriate stuff going on with them. The next day, Joe cracks the script at the diner with Annie's help. At the same time, the producer is securing $800,000 to pay Claire to go ahead and do the nude scene. Because when you are making a stand on morals, $800,000. <laughs> just more money. That's all you need. Is uh, really what tips the scale. Uh, <clears throat> then Joe returns and reveals miraculously, we don't need to show her naked. We show her naked to him mm -hmm. because it's about purity. Purity. There's that purity again. Um how many movies with nudity can say that? Never mind. Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> that night, Joe is out walking and thinking and witnesses Bob and the diner girl get into a car accident at the intersection of State and Maine, uh, which is where the movie gets its title from. Apparently, they were going for juxtaposing big business Hollywood and small mm -hmm. town kindness. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it's a terrible title for the movie uh, as much as I don't like the marketing. Um, Alec Baldwin gets out of the wrecked car and says a classic line. So that happened. And then starts mumbling, we got to get her out of here. We got to get her out of here because that's right. The delivery girl is in the car with him. She gets out. He says, you got to leave. So she does. And this basically drives this incident drives much of the rest of the plot uh, for the rest of the movie. Uh, the director and the producer immediately go into spin mode. A trooper shows up. And they're like trying, hey, we're like, well, why do you need to talk to this guy? And it turns out the trooper just needs to issue a traffic citation. Joe and Annie spend that evening in the rain and in her shop and then getting locked out of her shop um, after the power goes off. She has big dreams to buy the local print shop and revive the local newspaper. It's clear that she's Lois Lane and she would be perfect for this job. After they lock themselves out, they're about to kiss and the sheriff shows up in some of the most unfortunate timing I've ever seen for somebody rooting for a kiss. 
uh, <laughs> and, and walks Annie home. Elsewhere in town, the director of photography, this poor bastard, has tried for days to get somebody to listen to him about the need to change a shot. They want him to pull through a window in the fire station, but this fire station has this ornate stained glass window of a dog. And no one gives him any solutions. They just ultimately keep telling him to fix it. So he comes out this night and breaks the stained glass window. That will probably solve the problem. But it also leads to the trigger because the next day the doctor is in the bar. Here's where a city councilman who wanted to charge him more for the permit and got dumped by Annie is sitting. And the doctor mentions something about having three head wounds created by glass to fix in one evening. Uh, and they know about Bob from the accident and they know about the director of photography at the fire station. So city councilman realizes the girl was in the car just like I suspected. And he goes on this weird power trip. Like by the end of this movie, he's running for Congress, uh, which I'm sure is just a commentary on the power trip that local politicians go through. So things turn pretty quickly after this point and accusations are made to Bob. Uh, councilman brings the diner owner and his daughter to the hotel to confront, but the daughter keeps insisting nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And then Alec Baldwin's door opens and Claire comes out and they're neither one of them fully dressed and she's yelling about being treated like a child. It's clear that they were having some kind of an affair. Jealousy kicks in and the diner girl says, he took advantage of me. And we get to kind of a media circus at this point after the mayor gets stood up for dinner because of the dry erase board incident. So nobody comes to the mayor and his wife's dinner. They've spent this whole week basically turning their house upside down, renovating it, upgrading it. They have this fancy feast prepared and no one shows. And so when he gets a call about the girl saying that Alec Baldwin had taken advantage of her, he calls the state police, smash cut to national news cameras outside of a courthouse. And now it's clear that... A na national British news. Uh, yes. We, we <laughs> leaped across the pound, pond with this news. Yeah. It becomes clear that Joe is the only witness, and everyone's trying to pull Joe in one direction or another. Uh, the producer and the director make some not-so-casual inferences uh, or direct uh, instructions. They start calling into question his memory. Were you wearing your reading glasses? Were you wearing your regular glasses? Trying to create this doubt because... They've probably done this a dozen times with Alec Baldwin's character already in other Hollywood productions. Joe is convinced to lie. Goes into the courthouse, swears in, and lies. And then he starts wandering the city. And I think wandering the city is one of the themes of this movie because people do it a lot, <laughs> uh, especially Joe. And he just keeps saying things like, yeah, I ruined my life in that courtroom. I lied. I perjured myself. My whole life is over. Blah, 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 blah. And eventually somebody hears him say the word courtroom and says, we don't have a courtroom. They do court in the high school science building. He's like, what? He was almost on the train at that point. He, he, was. he wasn't wondering. He was heading out of town. Yeah. He was. Uh, and then getting off the train is a judge who's greeted, who says he's in town to hear a deposition. And Jill realizes it's him. He goes back to the courthouse, which is now revealed to be a set put together by the local drama uh, director, Annie, who felt he just needed to get the lie out of the system so that he could then tell the truth. And I think that's pretty quaint. Um, <laughs> so he goes to turn himself in 
to tell the truth about what he saw with the accident. And this is just a matter of timing. The higher up producer has shown up right at this moment with the $800,000 to pay Claire for the nude scene that they no longer need to shoot. Free $800,000. What do they do with it? They pay off the city councilman who immediately starts his campaign for Congress. Uh, and so the film is saved. Charges are dropped. Joe kisses Annie. And the movie finally gives us what any movie about movies should give us, which is an actual scene of the movie within the movie. Uh, and it's the scene that they've been talking about this whole time throughout the movie. Just coming from a fire, sister. And it's perfectly cheesy and goofy. Uh, and then we see at the end, they did end up taking the offer that they had rejected earlier from Bazoomer.com. <laughs> and there's an old Westie style sign that says Bazoomer.com. And there's a gunshot. For the <laughs> That's perfect topic. I laughed. Yeah, I laughed out loud at that. Uh, and that is my recap of State and Maine. I have lots of things I want to get into. But first, I want to know what Aaron's experience was this time through. I thought I had seen this. I'm not so sure I have oh, wow. um, into, until this uh, this viewing. And it's possible either way. Look, it's been 20 years. So it's possible I did see it and just forgot all of it. Um, because there are some things I remember, but I don't know if I remember them because I've heard other people talk about the movie, because mm -hmm. of you know how things leak in. Anyhow, it's definitely... Uh, a, a first time through experience for me, even if I had seen it uh, 20 years ago. Sure. I will also give you a little bit of background information that we made this the family uh, movie night uh, movie for our family movie night that we do once a month. Um, so, oh, oops. <laughs> no, we. I'm trying to remember. Uh, they are. They are used to all. My, by the way, all my kids are. Uh, you know, adults, they're, they're mostly in their twenties, you know? Um, so we, it's not like we don't do rated R movies for family movie night or anything like that. Right. Um, so anyhow, but I will say it is an interesting movie to watch with zoomers with Gen Z because they cannot process that pedophilia is funny. How is the like, how mm. would any like as soon as the line came out, he likes 14 year old girls, it the whole movie was cringe to them. Oh, like they, wow. they could they could not figure out like, how to process through that. Um, and so anytime anything would come up with that character, there would be lots of like, you know, uh, yelling at the screen and hoots and hollers and, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Interesting. So it's, you know, there is, and I get, I get it by the way, you know, and especially in a culture where, where pedophilia is used as this broad weapon against whoever you don't like, it's weaponized True. against uh, your, your, the political party you don't like or whatever it might be. Um, and I'm also not saying it's it's non-existent. It is a an actual problem. And in fact, uh, the charities I choose to to uh, give to the most deal with uh, child sex trafficking and real real issues in this area. And it is weird to watch this movie make a joke about something and also paint that character as the aggressor, like we mentioned, mm -hmm. because that is a common thing that will happen in these cases is they will say, oh, they were coming on to me. That was, you know, and so this movie gives like a little bit of validity and, you know, uh, legitimacy to that idea. Like when she turns, it's her jealousy. It's not because she's really wrestling right. with the reality of the situation. Right. 
you know, which is that a person in power took advantage of her. Um, so like it's, it is, it is definitely interesting watching this movie with 2023 eyes and watching it with, uh, you know, uh, kids who have grown up, uh, in this era, um, as well. And there are some, um, slurs that probably wouldn't be used the same way, uh, mm -hmm. as they're used in this movie. Mm -hmm. I say all that to say, <laughs> I still thought it was hilarious. I think, I think David Mamet is so good at understanding the, the simple dry humor. There's a lot of dryness to the lines that are happening here, the way they're said, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned, so that happened. Like, that's not like, that's not a punchline. That's just a dry delivery. Yeah. And I think this is summed up the best to me and the Anne character. I think Anne is the star of this movie. I, I think it's uh, Rebecca Pigeon uh, plays the character, and just so good. I loved every line that that uh, came out of her mouth. Um, I just thought she delivered stuff really, really well. But it's not just her. There's lots of great lines, and more importantly for me, there's an intricacy to the plot that I just find wonderful. And the reason I find it wonderful is because when you when you're willing to take the effort to actually draw the lines through the plot of why these crazy coincidences are happening, how far they go back, setups and payoffs, all that kind of stuff, you're limiting my need to suspend my disbelief a little bit. You're limiting my need to go, oh, what a coincidence that that person just showed up here because right. you've given me at least a little bit of reason. You've given me a little bit of understanding of what's going on. And man, it's so good at that. Everything is intricately woven. Uh, in this, so that when we get somewhere, there's been a few setups to get there. And like I think the potholes, like they yes. talk about the potholes in the opening scenes. <laughs> we see them every time we're on that mm -hmm. street. When Anne is breaking up with her fiance, a car goes by behind them casually, just <laughs> hits a pothole and moves mm -hmm. on. And then the wreck for Adam Baldwin's character happens right on that pothole. Um, so it's set up in more than one way and more than one time. It's fascinating. I do think, if if I'm interpreting the movie correctly, I do think the Joe and Anne characters are the only characters we're supposed to like uh, in the in this movie, other than other than the background city characters. Everybody from this town seems to be just fine, except for the the um, the guy running for Congress and the uh, the mayor and his wife for a little bit, you know. Um, trying to impress too much but for the most part the people in the town are fine but as far as our predominant characters it's Anne and Joe that I think we're supposed to connect to and go oh they're finding if there is a a meta-ness to the movie they're shooting and this movie it is about this person finding what purity is what second chances are you yes. know what all those those things are and I think because I'm able to focus on them and then let the movie be overly sharp and satirical about everything else I'm able to give a little grace to the the sharpness, the directness, the grossness of some of what's going on because I know it's it's making a point. It's being sharp about those things and and ne it's never absolving them. No. Um no, in any way. So. They're talking about purity the whole time they're covering <laughs> up for this guy who has sex with teenagers. It's it's there for a reason. They're taking that to task. Mm -hmm. Um reminds me in many ways different subject of like Tropic Thunder and the Downey Jr. character. Sure, not, yeah. 
It's not saying I agree with this. The movie is saying this is how preposterous this right. Hollywood can get for some of these people. Right. Is they think this is okay. Yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt your flow. No, there. no, no. You're 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 good. And I think at the end of the day, because it has this really sharp message about the license of celebrity and how we allow celebrity to buy its way out of its own uh, sins and its own ickiness or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think I think I uh, am able to to see what's going on here in that light and understand that satire is is going to be dark sometimes and it's going to be it's taking things as far to the edge as it can to say look at how ridiculous this is um and to do it to your own industry you know um that's uh, that's always interesting to me oh yeah uh, so oh yeah so yeah I, I i enjoyed it i really enjoyed it and had a uh, a lot of lines that i that i laughed at and thought were really clever i love the, the ricky J when he tosses out the stock facts about Warner Brothers uh, <laughs> and how everybody thought that about Warner Brothers stock back in the day. But if you look mm -hmm. at their side-by-sides now, blah, blah, blah. Like everybody in this movie seems to have pockets of intimate deep dive knowledge, like uh, the mm -hmm. two old guys who keep talking about, um, well, yeah, I'm uh, losing my train of thought. Go ahead. Uh, a couple of the things I'll mention, and then I'll let you kind of uh, hit, hit through your notes. But um there was a funny moment where, and again, I don't remember so much of this movie. Uh, I had forgotten the uh, the denouement. I had forgotten the final idea that there was a fake trial, and then the real trial was supposed to happen after that. I love that. I love that that plot progression. But when they went to the fake trial and the judge came out, I was like, oh, well, at least they didn't do the you know have the black character be the judge trope. And I was like, oh, cool. And then we get to the train, and the judge oh, comes no. up, and it's a black actor. And I was like, <laughs> oh man. Uh, so because that's a really if you watch movies from like eighties, nineties, oh, yeah. even two thousands, like it's a real trope, and uh, there's some issues there. But anyways, I just thought that was kind of funny and made me yeah, laugh that is a little fascinating. bit. Um, I also like the It's a Wonderful Life references. There are several of them, and I think that's very purposeful. We're dealing with second chances. We're dealing with the idea of what's real and what's not. Um, the mayor of the town is George Bailey. Like, you mm -hmm. know, like it's it's clear that that was on their mind. I think somebody mm -hmm. even says this is our wonderful life or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that in the script. So I enjoyed that. Um, wild, wild seeing baby John Krasinski appear out of nowhere, uncredited, yeah, yeah, not even in the not even in the cast credits. Like. Yep. Just carrying the golf clubs for the second judge, just that doesn't have a word to say. Just coming off the train, I about leapt out. I was like, "It's John Krasinski!" Like four <laughs> years before he was on the Office, like just hanging out in State and Maine for like a frame or two. That's um, awesome. Yeah, that was wild. Uh, uh, I also like the that the title of the drama that the high school was doing, and also again speaking of setups and payoffs, mm -hmm. we know that they're doing a play called Trials of the Heart. Mm -hmm. And so when you realize that she set all this up, you, there's it's not a convenience. They literally had all the props because that's the play they were doing was a trial yep. play. So, <laughs> like, you know, it just makes a lot of sense. But I also like that the title of that play could also be the title of this movie. Like, you know, oh, like Trials yeah. of the Heart, you know, yeah. like it's 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 really it's really well done. Um and then uh, the only other thing I would mention is that my kids uh, wondered if this was a prequel to the Avengers, and that's how he got the money to uh, to to start putting the Avengers together. Was interesting. Uh... <laughs> interesting. It's like no, I'm going to go with no. no. Um, 
That's fascinating. Uh, a David Mamet movie always has memorable dialogue, so I wanted to run through yeah, some Yeah, I do have of some favorite. of that as well, but yeah, run through some of these lines. When Alec Baldwin arrives, and there's a little boy at the hotel. Everything uh -huh. about this whole town is Norman Rockwell, golly gee, and the little right, boy right. runs up, and he's like, what's your favorite sport? And the kid goes, baseball! And he leans <laughs> down, and he goes, baseball? Well, Chucky, that's the national sport. <laughs> Which is... It just that shows how me. clueless and out of touch this guy is. That's how he relates to a little kid. That's but it's just so sport. it's just so on the nose, and it's just like there's a couple townspeople at one point, and he's like, he says, "Well, it takes all kinds," and the other one's like, "Oh, that's what it takes." I always wondered what it took. <laughs> I'm just like that's the kind of stuff I love. Like, um, the angry line because I'm gonna tell you something, and I think you know what I mean, and then the storm off. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you believe that? It's absurd. So is our electoral process, but we still vote. <laughs> but we still vote. Um, and then the line he's trying to get, he keeps saying, call his girl and have him ship his weights so that Alec Baldwin right, can work yeah, yeah. out. And he goes, how much could they weigh? And it's just like, this is a man in charge of a major motion picture that has budget issues. And he's not, he can't even process how expensive it would be to ship free weights across the country <laughs> like that is a waste of money beyond comprehension it doesn't mm -hmm. matter to him but that's he's just trying to assuage his star anyway i thought that was an interesting moment where he said how much could they weigh because one time i tried to ship some golf clubs and the price was going to be like 89 dollars, and i was like no thank you i'll <laughs> i'll just hire john krasinski to, to bring them along john krasinski uh i love the fact that one of the local actors and bob Berenger both say the line I know my lines. I just don't know what order they come in mm -hmm. um, because I think that is probably true across all levels of acting, mm -hmm. uh, that there are people who are like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I love the moment when the director in the beginning, they're just at the hotel and he's talking to his boss and he says, here, talk to Bill. And he gives the phone to his assistant. And then I'm expecting him to do something important. And he doesn't. He just meanders for a minute and picks up a bow and arrow and fires it across the room because he's so used to being too important to do the whole phone call and just handing off the phone. Mm -hmm. He just does it. Um, there's one more thing I want to read, but hit me with your favorite quotes before we get to that. Uh, everybody makes their own fun. If you don't make it yourself, it isn't fun. It's entertainment. Uh, oh, man. that's It's just it's a thinker, Jeremy. It's just a thinker. I love it. Uh, I, and the only other one I would mention is uh, after the producer is just laying into somebody on the phone and I think it says something along the lines of, I will take out your heart and piss in your chest or something like yeah. that. And, just to, and then finishes with, and the best to Marion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the idea that they talk to each other this way as an industry thing. Right, and right. Not it's uh, it's really wild. That David Paymer uh, performance is 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 really good. There's a little similarity to Quiz Show, like the same slickness and the for sure know, the manipulation. But this is a little more aggressive and a yeah. little more. He uh, takes the first swing at any and every confrontation. Like, mm -hmm. oh, there's a policeman. I'm his lawyer. I'm his lawyer. I got the anyway. He, yeah, he's great. David Paymer. Uh, shout out also. We didn't give a shout out to Charles Durning, who's the mayor in this, um, who you may also known as uh, Hudsucker from the Hudsucker Proxy and mm -hmm. uh, many other things. But he's awesome in this, too. So, he is yeah. Patty LuPone, plays his wife. She's also. Yes. Awesome. She just yeah. doesn't get uh, too much screen time. I uh, the one thing I found during research, you may have found it as well, that it's too good to not share. Uh, in the scene when they're in the bookshop and she has his play, he's got his manuscript. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where you can see the back of it 
and somebody on the internet wrote down the description on the back of Joe's play mm. of the play. The play's called Anguish, and I'm going to read you the back of the manuscript mm, nice. description. Daniel Dan, a young electrician traveling in North Dakota, has his shoes shined by a veteran of World War II also named Daniel Dan. <laughs> the two strike up a quick friendship and decide that fate has brought them together. Tragically, Daniel, the veteran Daniel, is electrocuted when Daniel, the electrician, asks him to be his helper on a small residential rewiring. The guilt that Daniel feels over his mistake haunts him for the rest of his life. Adding insult to injury, the rewiring customer never made his final payment. Due to financial <laughs> difficulties, totally unrelated. Amazing. I love a movie that will go into detail that much. You didn't even have to show us the back of the, mm -hmm. you didn't even have to show us the manuscript, but you yeah, showed us good. the back and had pre written a hysterical synopsis of that play. Yeah, that's now good. I want to see it. Um, all right, now is the time of the show where we usually do uh, the super secret double feature. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. I thought uh, about a few movies while looking at this. Uh, of course, there are plenty of movies about movies uh, out there that would that would probably fit the category. I briefly considered Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, as kind of feeling uh, this. There's the same level of a, a little bit of satire about you know what's going on. In Hollywood, but where I landed for my super secret double feature uh, was Hail Caesar. Um, I think this has the same screwball comedy feel to it. it. It's about this. It's very much sharp about the same uh, industry, uh, pointing out the hypocrisies and uh, different things. It is a blast of a movie. I think it fits really well with State in Maine. So uh, that is what I picked for my That's double a good pick. feature. I only saw yeah. it once, and I didn't like it as much as you and i think chris did mm -hmm. but i didn't dislike it uh and yeah in terms of tone uh poking fun at hollywood uh mm -hmm. wacky zany good yeah. performances that's a good pick that's a good yeah pick. i like Hail caesar. caesar all right yep. now for something i'd another something i don't know what's coming what's next week <laughs> homework uh let's talk about 10 cloverfield lane next week um <laughs> I I am excited to watch this movie again. Uh, it has been a while, but the performances in here uh, are phenomenal. Uh, introduced me to Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I think has gone on to do some really interesting stuff and some really good stuff. Um, and it's Dan Trachtenberg, who I continue to keep my eye on uh, after he hit it out of the park with Prey uh, earlier as well. Um, so, so yeah, I'm excited to revisit 10 Cloverfield Lane and go into I, uh... a little detail about it. I saw this once. I remember enjoying it, um, but I'm super excited to go back now having seen Prey. I have so much appreciation for Prey, mm -hmm. uh, and I want to examine 10 Cloverfield Lane with those eyes and mm -hmm. see what I missed the first time through. Is this movie streaming anywhere, or are we renting this week? Oh, that's a great question that I forgot to look up, but um, I can do that now. Well, from what my Google is not always correct. But right. Google says you can watch it if you have a YouTube primetime subscription, which I do not. Um, and then otherwise it looks uh, rentable on all the major streaming platforms. Um, so 
what's the name of that app that tells you? I gotta get that app. Start using that. Uh, it looks like it's on Amazon and Hoopla. Hoopla. Uh, yeah, Hoopla is another one of the library services, I believe. Um, and uh, and Hoopla. It says Amazon. Sometimes that can be misleading because maybe it's. Uh, but it. But yeah, it says it's available. So. Uh yeah, no, it's showing as available. Um, actually, wait. No, it's uh, showing as unavailable for me. Uh, Paramount Plus, possibly to stream. Um, It's always so weird, but yeah, check your own. Because the other thing is, what's true for us may not be true for somebody in a different country, too. That always happens. I'll say something on the live broadcasts, and Mm -hmm. they'll be like, yeah, it's on Netflix. And somebody will be like, not in Canada or not in the UK. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. All right. We have gone... uh, Long enough for the day. I think it's time uh, to let everybody break for a meal. Um, thank you uh, for joining us uh, to talk about state and Maine. Uh, and hopefully, if you haven't seen it, you get a chance to get around to it. And for next week, watch 10 Cloverfield Lane. For Aaron Dicer, this is Jeremy Scott, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com there how was lunch just got a big fat pita sandwich it was great mm. Mm. i love the hunger games themed menu what pita no oh do they, pita. Do they have a do they have the a katniss <sighs> burger as well it's not spelled the same aaron <laughs> this is an audio format jeremy <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting sometimes when we're writing like you want to do a play on words, but your play on words depends on a different version of the actual word. Mm. And so you have these internal debates of how do you do the subtitles, right? Like, do you use the, the, the foundational word spelling or do you use the pun word spelling? Um, kind of be interesting that way sometimes. I, uh, I think probably one of my favorite things and it's happened maybe five times. Um, is when someone will write something for me to narrate and they try to give me phonetic aid mm-hmm. and they tell me to say a syllable like the word R-O-W. <laughs> <laughs> the little like suburb that I'm living in of Springfield, Missouri uh, is just like booming. And so we're getting new restaurants all the time. And we recently got a Whataburger, which yeah. is a Texas thing or whatever, and it's kind of making its way around the country. But um, do you guys have them there in Nashville? Do you have a we water- got it about a year ago. Yeah. Um, interesting place. I'm not sold on their burgers. Most most fast food burgers have too much salt for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I usually have to order them without salt, and it's just a weird thing. And so I don't usually get burgers from fast food places. Uh, unless it's like specializes in burgers, like uh, Shake Shack or Five Guys, like those burgers are great. Oh my god! Um, but uh, but they've got good chicken. They've got 
really interesting shakes, which I always love. It's not great for my calorie count, but I, I love an interesting shake. They've got like a banana pudding shake right now. And I'm just like, oh, that sounds really good. I should try that. So I did, and it was good. But yeah, I just got some chicken fingers, and it was good. It'll hold me over till dinner. So yeah. I uh, I had the same experience at Whataburger that I had at In-N-Out, which is after hearing from, about how awesome it was for decades mm-hmm. from people in Texas or California, I thought it was all right. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's my same In-N-Out experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, we also have another Whataburger opening in the other direction, and then there's something else coming. Oh, that... Uh, Texas convenience store Bucky's. Uh, I think it's called. Yeah, we've got one of those opening here too. Yeah, so I guess a lot of chains are spreading everywhere. Well, we're going to get a bunch of Bucky's in the next, I don't know, year or two. We've got we've got a billboard driving out of Springfield where the new Bucky's is going in, and apparently this place is like all that in a bag of chips and. A, you know, bag of brisket sandwiches or whatever. Yep. But like there is a billboard that says next Bucky's Nashville, Tennessee. Oh wow. <laughs> it's like oh, wow. they already have a billboard up that's like, if you don't stop here, it's another seven and a half hours to the next one. That's wild. The I mean there's not I even a direct a- highway to Nashville from here. Like it's not even like it's a straight shot. It's a gas station with food. Like, I don't know what we're doing. Like, everyone's trying this, right? Mm-hmm. At least yeah. around me, every gas station now has e- like either their own counter where they cook burgers mm-hmm. and subs or yeah. there's literally a restaurant inside. Everybody's trying. There's one near me that's at tacos. I'm like, I'm not eating your gas station tacos. I don't, I don't care. I'm not doing it. <laughs> 